love you. We thank you, God, for this great privilege it is to be in your word. We pray you bless it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, uh, we're going to be in Daniel 3. If you want to open your Bibles to Daniel 3, you can do that. I'll quickly, uh, briefly be in James chapter 5. I'm thinking about, you know, what to share this morning. Uh, the message I'm going to share with you is going to be very testimony-based, heavy testimony, but all, and also uh, well-related to the boxing match you just saw a clip of and what God did in that. Um, but really, the, the whole thought behind this message is just, you know, we live in interesting times. As we've already alluded to this morning, you know, I believe we're in the very last moments of the last days. Surely we're in the last days. The, the last days are from when Jesus ascended to his second coming. So the apostles said that, that they were in the last days. So I'm comfortable saying we're in the last days, right? We're definitely in the last days, but I believe we're in the last moments of the last days. And, you know, you look at, you know, biblical prophecy and you look at Middle Eastern uh, events, events there in Israel, uh, we're at the very end of the age, I believe. Um, and the Bible says that in these times there will be a great falling away, that many will fall away from sound doctrine, that they will fall away from, you know, a walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, we see in Revelation there Jesus commending the church of Philadelphia for staying, you know, holding fast to the name of, to Jesus' name to his character, to doing things the way he would have them to do it, and the teaching of the word. And, uh, you know, in these last days, many will fall away from that. And, you know, I personally can attest that I, I sense and discern an increase of spiritual warfare in and around me, you know, even to this day. You know, and I see as, you know, as with boxing, as the fight progresses, in that last round, what typically happens? The guys go all out. You know, they're, they're trying to just do everything they can to win at the very end. And I think that's what the enemy's doing. He's increasing the intensity of the assault and the attack because he knows his time is running out. That window of grace is shutting. Things are going to come to a rapid close very soon. So with that said, you know, we fight the fight of fatigue as believers. You know, when you walk with the Lord and labor for the Lord and stay, you know, committed to the Lord, and then the world gradually turns away from the Lord, and you begin being persecuted, and, you know, and temptations are never ceasing, right? I mean, it can grow a weary, uh, a weary task of, uh, of following the Lord. Now, it's not because of the Lord. It's not that the Lord is difficult. You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My requirements are easy. My burden is light. Jesus is not difficult. It's that we have three adversaries. We have the enemy, Satan, and the demonic realm. We have the world we live in that's fallen, and we have our flesh to contend with. And this is what makes it a battle. This is what makes it a fight, a wrestling match, and a race. So I'm going to read from James chapter 5. Uh, in verse 7, James, half-brother of Jesus, says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently, for until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Speaks of establishing your hearts, you know, grounding your hearts. You know, First uh, Peter says to arm yourselves with the mind of Christ, to have this mind committed to holiness, mind committed to following the Lord and establishing our hearts in that. 
And as a farmer, you know, a farmer doesn't just plant a seed and water it and then immediately stand there expecting a crop to, to grow, does he? No, yeah, that would be foolish. He, he plants the seed, he waters the seed, he toils, he, he labors over that seed for some time until the harvest comes. And then in due season, he reaps a harvest. And right now, you guys, you know, we labor for the Lord. You know, we, we work for the Lord. We serve him. We stay committed to him. We, we deny our, th- our, our flesh, take our thoughts captive and follow the Lord. And we don't see the immediate fruit. Now, there are definitely immediate blessings and, and, and you know, benefits to following the Lord immediately and now. But much, if not most, of the reward and the fruit of following the Lord is still to come. It's down the road. The reward is coming. It's not here right now, obviously. And we need to establish our hearts and be patient. In Daniel chapter 3, we see a, a, a powerful account. You know, I remember this from being a little kid in, in church, growing up in church attenders at least. You know, I grew up as a church attender. And I, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and... Uh, you know, this, as I look at this account, and I, I look at many accounts in Scripture, I see men staying, you know, steadfast in their faith, committed, their, their hearts were established in the faith, they were unrelenting, unwavering, a single-minded fidelity to what God had called them to do. And through that, God always does an amazing work. And, you know, I would refer to these uh, amazing works through, you know, the perseverance of the saints as great comebacks, right? And I'm tied into that boxing match. That boxing match was the greatest comeback of my boxing career. And um, and you see great comebacks throughout Scripture. You know, uh, Joseph, a teenage young man, has a dream that his family's going to bow and, you know, all, all that that goes along with it. And he doesn't get any counsel about talking about it. I encourage you to get counsel. If you have a dream like that, get some counsel before you start telling people. But he goes and tells his family and, you know, and his brothers are, you know, upset with him. They throw him in the pit. And I can imagine Joseph being in the bottom of a pit going, man, I should have just kept my mouth shut, right? But, but uh, he gets sold into you know, slavery, sold to Potiphar, you know, and uh, Potiphar's wife comes to seduce him. And, you know, he could have justified sin. He could have made sense of it, you know what was right in his own eyes, but he held fast to what the Lord had called him to do. He said, no, I shall not defy my God. And he stayed pure and, and got thrown back into prison. And, you know, I mean, just this, you know, years and years, decades of hardship, yet he stayed faithful to God. He didn't relent his walk with the Lord. He stayed faithful. And, you know, it was almost 30 years after he had the dreams before they were fulfilled. 30 years of difficulty, 30 years of establishing his heart and remaining patient, trusting the Lord for what I consider a great comeback, wouldn't you? Yeah. You go into the New Testament, you see the story of Lazarus. Now, we can all agree that's a great comeback, you know? <laughs> dead as a doornail, four dead, you know, and, 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 and Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. You know, Jesus showed up and everybody comes up to him, Lord, if you had I got here earlier, you could have done something. You know, like it's too late now. But if you had a guy here earlier, he's like, just chill out, guys. Hold on. I'm getting ready for a great comeback. You know, hold on. Hold on. Buckle up. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. Well, see, this Daniel 3 account is another great comeback. And we see that it comes through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's commitment 
to what God had called them to do. Let, let's, let's read. We're going to pick up in verse 16, um, a little background to it. In, da- in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar, in- interpreting his dreams, telling him his dreams, interpreting his dreams, and tells Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man in the world, your kingdom's going down, you're not going to reign for, for long. And he does what any sane-minded, rational king would do at hearing that. Instead of repenting and turning to the Lord, he builds a gigantic golden statue and commands his kingdom to worship it. That makes total sense, doesn't it? <laughs> he makes this statue nine feet wide, 90 feet tall, and he issues a decree to all the officials of Babylon that when their band plays, that they must bow and worship the statue. No doubt, this is to show their allegiance to not the statue, but their allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, anyway, the Chaldeans, who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already bailed out big time, these Chaldeans owed them their lives. The Chaldeans were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they had been placed as high officials in Babylon at the uh, request or urging of Daniel. So anyway... They go, and out of their jealousy, find out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were unwilling to bow to the statue when the music was played. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had already commanded and, and, and said that anybody that wouldn't bow was going to be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Not my choice of death, obviously. It's a, that's a rough way to go. Anyway, so... These Chaldeans find out they won't bow. They come to King. Oh, King, live forever. And these guys are, yeah, they make me sick the way they, you know. Oh, King, live forever. You're the man. Now, check it out. These guys, these young, three young Hebrew men whom you have placed as high officials in Babylon, they're unwilling to bow. They're unwilling to bow to your gods or your statue. They're unwilling to do what you asked them to do. And he was furious right off the bat. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he's an interesting character. He has a lot of problems, a lot of emotional problems. Anger management is at the top of the list, right? (laughs) Serious anger management problems. And he is furious. I can picture him there, veins bulging out of his head, pouring sweat, just enraged. And he calls Shadrach, Meshach, summons their presence. They come to him and, and, you know, he said they would immediately go in the furnace. But we have to remember for a second that there was some amount of respect, some degree of respect uh, between Nebuchadnezzar and these three men. He placed them high officials. They were friends of Daniel's, and the king greatly respected Daniel, um, at least to a degree. So he doesn't immediately throw them in a furnace. He gives them a second chance to get out of this mess that they're in. And uh, he says, okay, guys. We're going to play the music again. We're going to rewind this. We're going to rewind, start over, play the music. And this time, if you bow, it, it, I love it. It's like good with, an, good with an explanation point. Good. But if not, <laughs> it's bow or burn, man. You're going in the furnace. So, you know, they have this life or death scenario. It's, you know, really interesting. This is not something we, we in America face yet. Um, we may, in due season, face life or death scenarios like this and, you know, you know, if if I'll stay faithful to the Lord, man. If I go down that way, then I was just, I was uh, predestined to go down that way. <laughs> you know, praise the Lord, right? I mean, stay faithful to the Lord. These guys have a life or death scenario here. I love their response to Nebuchadnezzar in uh, Daniel three verse sixteen. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't even need to defend ourselves. You know, these guys, it almost sounds like arrogance, but it's not. It's just confidence. They knew the Lord was their defender. They knew the Lord, you know, he's the good shepherd. You know, sheep aren't worried about their protection. They know the shepherd takes care of them. You know, we can, we can rest, guys. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to be our, our, our own protectors. We trust the Lord that he defends us. And he works things out. He is our protector, not us. But they're confident in this. And then they say, if, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. They're confident in the Lord. How, how many of us are confident in the Lord that he is with us? And if, if we're with him, who can come against us? You know, if he is with us, what, what, can, what can come against us? Nothing. You know, sure, they can come against us, but they will not be victorious. Right. They're confident of this. And I love verse 18. This is such a powerful verse. They say, but if not. Let it be known to you, O king. Even if the Lord doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you, O king. We do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the image of gold which you have set up. Wow. I mean, you can circle. I mean, that verse, that's Christianity in a nutshell. You can circle it, underline it, write it on your hand. I mean, that is awesome. They're saying, look, we don't serve God because of what he can do for us. We simply serve him because he's God. Because he's worthy, because he is the creator of the universe. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He created us and not we ourselves. They, they're saying, look, we, we serve God because he's God, simply. Not because of what he can do for us. You know, if you watched um, any reality TV shows in 2006, I was on a boxing reality show called The Contender on ESPN. And uh, if you watch that, it was a second season of it. You know, they, uh, uh, they called me, wanted us to... You know, me to come be on this show, thought my family's story was pretty uh, uh, captivating. The audiences would like it and ratings would be well. Anyway, so we go out on that show, and um, if you watched it, you know that I lost my first fight. Now, granted, I only had three weeks to get ready, and I was uh, fighting 15 pounds over my competitive fight weight, but I won't make any excuses. So, (laughs) you know. But if you're anything like me, I hate to lose, guys. I mean, I, you know, I'm not super competitive, but if I'm going to be doing something, I want to win at it. You know what I mean? And uh, and I lost my first fight, and, um, you know, it hurt. I'm just like you guys. It hurt me to lose, you know. But in the post-fight interview, you know, by the grace of God, I, you know, I, I kept my composure, and I said, you know what? All the other guys, you know, crying, you know, losing it. My life's over. This is the end of the road. I said, you know what? This hurts, but it's not the end of anything for me. I said, you know, this is part of God's sovereign will for my life. You know, he ordains the footsteps of the righteous. Uh, Romans 8, 28 says he'll work all this out together for my good if I just keep trusting in him. It's not the end of anything. God will work it out. Now, when I said that, (laughs) I didn't feel like it, right? You know, know, oftentimes we base our actions and our countenance and the things we say on the way we feel. That's a mistake, you know. Uh, we're, we're to base it on God's word and will, which never changes. And, and by the grace of God, I was able to base my actions, my countenance, and what I said on his word and will, and I, I knew he was with me. Anyway, uh, six months later, I go back to my competitive fight weight. I'm getting ready to fight again. And, um, 
And uh, New Year's Eve, 2006, I'm speaking to the youth group at my church. And that was like the, maybe the first or second time I'd ever done that. I'm sitting there speaking to them, and I got a fight scheduled three weeks later at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. And uh, while I'm speaking, the Lord's saying, you're never going to box again. You're leaving boxing. You're going to go into a life of ministry. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, that doesn't sound right. That's not, that, that's not my five-year plan, Lord. You see... It's like, you know, the Lord said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, and he goes to Tarshish. Well, I went to Tarshish and got swallowed by a fish. You know, I didn't tell anybody what he said, but over the next few days, everything began to fall apart. Everything. My career just dissolved out from under me. The fight got pulled off the card. Uh, My management team, my trainers, my um, agents, they all just abandoned me. It was really weird, (laughs) okay? So... Anyway, I'm like, okay, Lord, well, you gave me no options. You swallowed me up by a fish and spit me out on the shore. So now all I know to do is I'm just going to call churches. So at that time, we attended a denominational church in Georgia, and I started calling all the churches in Georgia of that particular denomination. For three weeks, nine to five, I called churches. Three weeks, nine to five, cold calling churches. Hey, guys, the Lord's called me to leave pro boxing. You know, um, I'd love to come minister at your church. I'll speak to anybody. I don't need anything to come. I'll speak to men, youth, nursery, you know, (laughs) just whatever. And I got three weeks of no thank yous. No, we need a recording of you speaking. I've never spoke anywhere. You have to record it. They didn't like that idea. Anyway. Three weeks later, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting so frustrated. I'm, I'm, you know, and I should probably tell you guys, you know, a lot of people think from the pro boxing we had, you know, money running out our ears and this and that. The Lord never allowed that. You know, he seriously, had that happened, it would have changed the course for me and my family completely. The Lord never allowed financial success. I got right to it, right to seven-figure paydays three times, but it never quite came through. And, you know, and granted, it was by the will of God, and I'm glad for it. But anyway, so we have no, we have no money. You know, I got, at the time, three kids. My Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? You know, what's going on? You call me into ministry. Well, I got to do some ministry, I think, you know. And three weeks later, I got a MySpace message from a guy named Philip McIntosh. A MySpace. I mean, Satan's social network, you know. <laughs> And Philip said, Ebo, you know, me and my dad, we were at the gym over here in San Diego, California, working out together. And we happened to catch a piece of some reality show called The Contender, I think. And we saw you box. And, you know, you obviously know Jesus. And we want you to speak at our church. You know, we're not sure if you're into that kind of thing or you, you, you're into speaking. But, you know, we'd like for you to come out here. Would you consider it? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> But I'm thinking, you know, it's probably like a church plant, like some small new church or something. But, hey, that's cool. You know, praise the Lord. Don't despise the small things. Well, they fly me and Amy, my wife, to San Diego, and we go out there, and we show up for the Saturday night loud and clear service at Horizon Christian Fellowship to about 3,000 people. And I'm like, whoa, what happened, you know? <laughs> and I begin to see something. Look, the Lord, he's much bigger than my circumstances. Much bigger, man. You know, I am defined in many ways, you know, by circumstances. I, I'm so unable to control life. I, I can't control any. I'm out of control completely. <laughs> you know what I mean there. But um, 
the Lord, he's not defined or held by circumstances. You know, he's not at all. He's much bigger than my circumstances. And, and guys, quite simply, I don't serve God because he can make me win boxing matches. I serve him because he's God. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, look, you know, even if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the image of gold which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. <laughs> that's, that's, that's almost comical. Full of fury. He was full of fury. Full of it. Fury. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Apparently, dead is not dead enough. We're going, well done, you know. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments. It's being specific here for a reason, but it's mentioning the the specific clothing. And they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, And the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke to his counselors, uh, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Seems he also has a short-term memory loss problem. They answered and said to the king, true, O king. True that, man, yeah. Three, we threw three in there. Look, he said. He answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I got news for Nebuchadnezzar. It was not like the Son of God. It, in fact, was the Son of God. Precarnate Jesus in the furnace 700 or so years before he was born to a virgin. He was in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their most difficult situation where their faithfulness to God had led them, in the most difficult place of their life, the Lord was right there with them. You see, guys, it's when we're in the deepest valleys. That's when we're the closest to the Lord. And we like the mountaintops when everything is going, you know, how we like it to go and smooth sailing. You know, we like that place. But I I encourage you guys, it's the most difficult moments of life where we're the closest to the Lord. You know, take, take Moses, for example. He's out in the wilderness. You know, the Lord waits. You know, he's... Moses is 80 years old. I believe the Lord continued calling him in the wilderness, but it comes to that burning bush experience at 80 years old on the backside of the desert in the wilderness where Moses did not want to be. You know, I can imagine he wanted to be back in the palace many times, but it was in that difficult place of humbling and and just being broken of himself that he encountered God there at the burning bush. And you know, it's where we, I, I I most often encounter the Lord and and am met by Him in the more difficult places of life. Not the, not the smooth sailing places. I like those places, and the Lord brings them sometimes, and he gives us seasons of that. But, you know, it's, you know, smooth sailing doesn't sharpen us. It doesn't develop us. It doesn't 
mature us as believers. You know, when we got saved, we didn't jump on a cruise ship. We, we jumped on a battleship, right? You know, and then the battleship's not about swimming in the pool and hanging out and having a good time. The battleship's about war. You know, as the Bible says, the Lord is a man of war. We are men and women of war if we are of the Lord. And it's not for, you know, our smooth sailing life. It's that we would be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ and be influential witnesses of Jesus Christ to those around us. You know, we're a part of the greatest rescue mission in the history of the universe. You know, I don't know where all you guys stand on this. I'm I'm a pretty much diehard young earth guy, 6,000 years. You can throw tomatoes at me later if you want. Are you guys there? Yeah, okay. Praise the Lord. (laughs) It could have been awkward. Yeah. I'm, I'm a diehard 6,000-year young earth guy. Yeah, we're, we're going to argue about it. It's nothing to argue about. But I do trust in a literal interpretation of Genesis, Genesis 1, creation account, 6, 24-hour literal periods of time. Anyway, and I could go on and on why. But, you know, you look back, and it's very uh, it's intentional that God would want us to see how short and how almost meaningless this fallen existence is. He wants us to view it as perishable and temporary and vanishing. Because if we start looking at it as 4.5 billion years, as Richard Dawkins would say, we start to hold on to it like it's something of significance and that it matters. And, oh, I've got to make the the most of it in in an unbiblical way. James says this life is a vapor. It's here one second and it's gone the next. You know, and um, so from from right there, the Proto-Evangelium or the first gospel, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God told Satan through Eve's offspring, through her seed, there will come a Messiah that's going to crush your head. And from that moment on has been a rescue mission. That's all this is. That's all this life is. You want to know what life is all about? It's a rescue mission. And if you've given your life to the Lord, you're on the most elite special team's rescue mission in the history of the universe and the lord looks to you and says hey i've got i believe in you as my is is a soldier in my army on the greatest rescue mission ever that you can be used by me to reach those who do not know me and save and save them and bring them to salvation in jesus name pretty cool anyway um daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here in this tough place. I'm going to put my, myself in Shadrach's sandals for a second, okay? You know, he's been given another opportunity to get out of this difficult place he's in. You know, he was, he was given a life-or-death ultimatum. We don't get many of those nowadays, but he's given this life-or-death ultimatum to remain faithful to his God or to bow to something else. Now, we're not going around bowing to statues, most of us, but, you know, this is just idolatry. Anything that... that that takes place of the preeminence of Christ. You know, a lot of people would say, you know, anything that, you know, comes before Jesus, like on a list, so to speak, like Jesus is number one, and if you put something before him, that's idolatry. I I, I take it a step further. I would say this, Jesus doesn't want to be on a list. He wants to be the list. He doesn't want to be a, he doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be preeminent. He wants the Bible, uh, Proverbs chapter 3 says to acknowledge him in all of your ways and everything, that he is 
preeminent and the focus and the supreme ruler of every aspect of your life, not a part of a list. If he's on a list, a lot of times the list gets too long and gets pushed off, or the further you get down the list, the further you are from him, or, you know, he doesn't want to be the part of a list. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life, right? It's a different perspective there, but I believe it's a biblical perspective. He wants preeminence. And uh, anything in your life that Jesus isn't preeminent in, that's idolatry. Um, Bob Caldwell from uh, Calvary Chapel of Boise, Idaho, said one time, anything that isn't birthed out of and enabled by a love for Jesus Christ is idolatry. If it's not birthed out of a love for him, then, then it is indeed just the same as bowing to this golden statue here in, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's day. These guys are given this ultimatum. They are unwilling to bow. Uh, and now I'm expecting God to work on my timetable the way I wanted him to work, right? You know, I didn't accept the first offer. Okay, Lord, now you're going to deliver us. Show, maybe impress me, right? Show me how you're going to do it. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar is just going to let us go. Oh, he's, wait, he's not. Oh, no. Yeah. Now we're tied up. Now we're being led to the furnace. The heat's building. I'm pouring sweat. When the guy's taking me there, die? <laughs> That's about the time. Time out. Wait, wait. Okay, I'll bow. You know, at any moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have relented and bowed at any moment. But they didn't. And Nebuchadnezzar would have loved to have seen that. Don't you know that the lost world loves to see Christians compromise? They do. And at any moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have compromised and said, okay, we're ready to bow. And Nebuchadnezzar would have said, aha, I knew it. I knew you would. And he would have been happy to have done that, allow them and oblige them and let them bow and and go on as unfaithful followers of of the Lord. But they stayed faithful. Uh, The guys die. You know what? When the guys die, you know, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're kind of, you know, they willingly went into the furnace. They didn't have, they weren't pushed in. They didn't have to fall in. They willingly went in. You know, just thinking through this right now, you know, we see the Lord in the furnace. Maybe they knew he was in there. And they're like, you know, wherever I got to go to be with Jesus, that's where I'm going. That's a good word right there, man. (laughs) Wherever he is. That's where I want to be. If that means it's in the difficult place. And, and like Pastor Tim said, man, you know, he got called out of the corporate corporate world and, you know, at a very high scale job in the corporate world doing things I have no idea how to do. <laughs> but, you know, this was never his his plan. This wasn't in his idea. This wasn't his 25 year plan. Right. And like with me, you know, pro boxing was my thing and and. This close to seven-figure paydays and multi-millions of dollars and, you know, and, and that whole lifestyle and living on a yacht in South Beach, Miami, riding jet skis all day and huge mansion and all the, and, and that was my plan. And certainly I would think, you know, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this Bugatti Veyron, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, that's crazy. But anyway, but the Lord, you know, he, uh. He called me, he called Pastor Tim. He's calling us all out of, you know, what we want. He's calling us out of the flesh, man. He's calling out of the carnal nature. And he's calling us to a place of many times 
uh, difficulty and, and many times seemingly loneliness and hardship. And, and he does it to open our eyes to our need for him, to open our eyes to, man, I, I, without the Lord, I, I'm hopeless. I, I, just, I don't want to be anywhere but with the Lord. And I think that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They were like, look, the Lord's in there. Guess what? I'm in. They dove in, so to speak, head first, tied up. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar calls them out of the furnace, and everybody crowds around, they're amazed at these guys. I mean, well, I would be amazed too, man. Nothing on them was burned. Their clothing, all the clothing that it mentions, the clothing wasn't burned. It says their hair had not been burned, you know, and it, it says that the, the fire had no effect on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Wow. <laughs> The circumstances that they were in had no effect on their outward appearance. That shows me just a trust in the Lord. They simply trusted the Lord. It didn't affect any of their outward appearance. And that's a challenge to me is, you know, next time tragedy strikes, difficulty comes, you know, not to be insensitive to hardship, but is it going to affect my outward appearance? Am I going to let it affect me? Am I going to keep trusting in the Lord? You know, and... You know, the fire had no effect on anything. Well, it did. It had effect on one thing. It burned off the ropes that tied them up. You notice that? They went into the furnace tied up, but he looked in and they were walking around loose. (laughs) That's awesome. That's just awesome. So the ropes, they don't hurt them. The, the, The fire doesn't hurt them. The fire frees them. And see, that's what going through adversity and staying faithful to God will do. Now, if you go through adversity and you're unfaithful to God, well, you know, I, I can't guarantee the outcome. But James says that uh, consider the testing of your faith. When you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. For the testing of your faith produces patience. It matures you. It grows you. The testing of your faithfulness, not the testing of your faithlessness, Right? If we're faithless in the midst of testing, you know, the, the, the Lord's desired effect doesn't come to pass. But here they say faithful. The ropes were burned away. They came out free. They came out victorious. Wow. And then at the end of the chapter, they get promoted. <laughs> That's a cool thing. Wow. A great comeback. You know, most of us bail out too soon. Most of us become unfaithful. Most of us give up too soon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't. They made it all the way, and they even willingly went into the furnace. Sometimes it gets tough. Tragedy strikes. Adversity comes. Temptation rises in our life, and we justify sin, or we give in to sin, and we bail out before we get to the furnace. I believe the Lord has a furnace moment in store for each and every one of you guys. A furnace moment, a, 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 a miracle moment, a f- powerful something he wants to do in your life and through your life. I believe it. And, you know, people have asked me, you know, I, I, I like and I say that God has a calendar sometimes playing around. He's got a calendar, man. He's got you on there. You know, he's got a date for you. You know, meet Emily in the furnace, December 3rd, you know, whatever. And people ask me, well, Ebo, is the Lord going to show up? You know, he's going to make it. I'm like, man, the Lord... He's never late. He's rarely early. He's on time every time. God is, his timing is always perfect. The question isn't, is he going to show up? The question is, are we going to show up? Because it takes a walk of faithfulness and perseverance to make it to the furnace. Guys, the boxing match you saw today, 
Uh, it took a walk of perseverance to make it to that fight. The Lord called me back to himself. Into 2003, I was completely in the world, lost since last year's Easter egg. Man, I was gone. And into 2003, the Lord calls me back to himself, calls me back into boxing. January 2004, I come back into the sport. And, uh, and, we, and it was, I gave the Lord preeminence in everything. My whole life revolved around him. My career revolved around him. And he began to work. We called 2004 the year of the saints. Just like amazed at what God was doing. Anyway, so by the end of 2004, I fought Courtney Burton, the number four ranked fighter in the world. Now, Showtime, they called us before that fight. And they said, hey, guys, we know Ebo's back in the sport. You know, he's doing pretty good. Five wins this year. Um, we want him to fight on our, our network because he's, he's an exciting fighter. He throws a lot of punches, but mainly because he bleeds a lot, and that's good for the ratings, you know. We like that. So we want him to fight on our network. Well, we knew that God, before that Burton fight, we knew he had, he had spoken to us, and he was leading us in, our, in my career, and we knew that he called us to fight the toughest fight we could possibly get, the most difficult fight we could possibly get. Now, uh, matchmaking and boxing is huge. You know, it's more of a business than a sport. You got to have good matchmakers to, you know, position you, and and it's real important to do that. But we were going against all the matchmaking, you know, rules, and we were just saying, look, we want the toughest fight we can possibly get. That made no sense to anybody. They thought we were crazy. I'm like, yeah, I'm crazy, but I'm right, and that's my Christian motto. Crazy, but I'm right. So. They call, and, and they fax us a list of fighters, and we looked it over, and like, none of these guys, these are all potentially easy fights. None of, them are a cha- none of them are the toughest fight we can get. So we called them back. We said, okay, guys, we don't want any of these fights. They're too easy. Uh, we want the toughest fight you can get us. And they, they're like, you know, what, what's wrong? Are y'all insane? Yes, we're crazy. <laughs> you know, and uh, so they, we said, go to the champion, challenge him. If he won't get a, give us a fight, go to the next guy. And just go down the line until you get the toughest fight you could possibly get us. So they did. And we hadn't quite yet earned a fight with the top three guys in the world, but they got the number four ranked Courtney Burton, and he accepted the fight. Now, that was really interesting to me because about two years earlier, I was out of boxing, completely didn't even know the Lord. But I watched the boxing match, and I saw Courtney Burton demolish a guy named Angel Manfredi. Now, Angel Manfredi, I knew his name, and I, I respected him as a good fighter. I never heard of Courtney Burton, but watch Courtney walk through Angel Manfredi like a wet paper bag. It was a, you know, and I'm sitting there watching, and I didn't even know the Lord, but I was, I, was, I was praying, Lord God, if I ever fight again, please don't let me have to fight that guy. Please. You ever done that? You don't even know the Lord. You're crying. Lord, help me. Anyway. Lord, don't ever have to, don't let me have to fight that guy. You know what? Two years later, sovereignly orchestrated by God, he would accept the fight. So now when, when he accepted the fight, man, I knew God was in it. This was not a regular boxing match. This was ordained by God, part of his will for my life. I knew from the moment I signed the contract, this is of the Lord. I don't care what happens. I'm fighting Courtney Burton December 17th, and we're going to win. I know it. It's all part of God's plan. <laughs> it had been prophesied that, uh, the seventh comeback fight would be for a world title. Uh, this was the sixth comeback fight. It was a title eliminator. The winner gets a world title shot. Anyway, amazing, radical stuff. So um, I go into the fight. And 12-round uh, fight, I don't know if any of you guys have ever boxed, but 12 rounds is a long time to fight somebody. 
especially with little eight-ounce gloves that are as hard as rocks. I mean, obviously, it's brutal. Um, uh, brutal. Anyway, in the second round, very early on, I begin to notice something very significant. I was in way over my head. <laughs> Maybe you've felt like that a time or two in your life. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what did I do? You know, because I knew by the second round, Courtney was bigger. He was meaner. He was stronger. He never showed up to the weigh-in, which was an odd thing. That never happens. Um, we're pretty sure he was about 20 pounds heavier. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I didn't care. I said, look, I'm fighting that fight that night. God is in this. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if we get paid. I don't care. This is what's happening. <laughs> so second round, I'm like, oh, no. What did I do? He was bigger, meaner, stronger. It was his promoter's show. You know, I, I, I believed, I knew I was going to get beat up and very likely knocked out. And uh, I began to do something you might consider a bit odd. I began to pray. <laughs> right there in the box. I began to talk to God. I wasn't closing my eyes and hands folded and praying. I was communing with God, fellowshipping with God in a boxing match, a very low valley at the time. And uh, I said, Lord God, this fight you've called me to, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to be brutal. And I admitted my weakness to God. I said, Lord God, I'm going to want to give up. I'm going to want to quit. I, I don't have the goods, right? I, I'm not able to do this. I can't do it. I'm going to want to quit. And God spoke back to me, man, with power and authority, clarity. He said, Ebo, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. If you don't give up, if you don't give in, if you just stay faithful to what I've called you to do, I'll do what's impossible for you. For what's, you know, impossible with man is possible with God. Now, when I heard that, I, I was immediately filled with joy. I knew I was going to win. Not only would I win, but I was going to win by knockout. I knew it because I'd never seen God leave the decision up to the judges, right? <laughs> he always wins by knockout. So I, I'm like, praise the Lord, man. I'm going to win by knockout. But I wanted the knockout to come quick and to come easily, right? We, that's how we want it. We often want everything to be easy, you know, and we often want the Christian walk to be easy. As I said, it's not going to be easy, not because of Jesus, because the enemy and our flesh and the world, but I wanted the fight to be easy. So I'm looking for every shot to be the last one. I'm like, all right, Lord, come on, this is going to be a miracle. Man. You're going to knock him out with a little jab. Watch. Come on, Lord. Boom. No. Okay, maybe another one. Come on, Lord. Boom. Okay, maybe a left hand. Boom. And then I'm like encouraging the creator of the universe. Okay, Jesus, you can do it. Come on, Jesus. You know. <laughs> and, and round after round passed. In the fourth round, Courtney hit me with a big right hand that broke my jaw. You probably could have noticed it in the, in the camera right there. This side is huge, broken. Uh, toward the later rounds, my kidneys started to bleed. I got hit with a body shot so hard, I was internally hemorrhaging. Uh, after the 11th round, my eyes were swollen shut. You know, cuts over and bleeding everywhere. Um, I had nothing left. I was completely physically, emotionally, mentally just expended. And um, and after the eleventh round, my corner men knew that, so they started to pray, You're calling for help from above. You know, Lord God, and it was an interesting prayer. Give him strength to do whatever he has to do. Because at that moment, we had no idea what I had to do. We thought, literally, I might have to die in the 12th round 
and the Lord would raise me from the dead right there. I'm not even joking. I'm not joking. Look, it sounds funny, but I really, I said, okay, if I have to die, I'll die. You know, he'll raise me from the dead. You watch, you know. So, you know, this is the way it works. We had no idea what God was going to do in the 12th round. We knew how it looked after the 11th round. We knew it looked really, really bad, right? It looked, the, the future looked bleak after the 11th round. We knew that much. We didn't know what God would do. And you see, this is how it works with us. This is a walk of faith. We don't, it might look bleak right now. You know, things might not look at all like you wish they looked. The, the, the circumstances may be contrary to what you desire. But, you know, we don't get to see what God does in the 12th round until we get there. You know? Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know, we're created with a plan, a purpose, specific intention for each of us. And well, we don't see how it unfolds. We just, you know, we get to see most of the time just the next step, step two. I want nine and ten. There's two. Thanks. You know, that's how it works. You know, but I can assure you this. It's never over till the Lord says it is. It never is. And the Lord, you know, his hope or his plans for us are for our good, for our hope and our future, you know. Um, First Corinthians says that it hasn't entered the heart of man. No, no eyes are perceived or entered the heart of man, the things that God has planned for those who love him. You know, certainly that could speak of heaven, but it speaks of this life and the things in this life, the blessings that God has for his people and the reward and the fulfillment and the meaning to life. And uh, But we don't get to see how it pans out, but I, I just encourage you guys, man, hold on. Make it to the 12th round. I could have gave up. You know what? Nobody would have objected or blamed me or anything had I said, I, I can't keep going. They wouldn't have. The doctor came in after the 11th round and looked at me, and he was ready to stop it. And, and we begged him. We said, look, man, don't give me, give me one more round. And he could have stopped it. You know, we could have said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm hurting, you know. And they would have had no problem stopping it. None of the fans would have cared. They would have said, man, God, you know, broke jaw, bleeding kidneys. You know, <laughs> surely he's got brain damage. <laughs> anyway, they wouldn't have blamed me. But I knew I had to stay faithful to God's calling. I knew I couldn't quit. And this is where we're at, man. You guys, we have to stay faithful to God's calling. Walk worthy to the calling to which you have been called, you know? Don't conform to the world. Conform to Christ. Deny thy flesh. Pick up a cross and follow him. Well, I go into the 12th round. Two minutes go by. I've expended every last resource I had. And this is how the Lord is. He wants us to expend and, and use every last human resource available, right? And when we're, when we're like, okay, we got nothing else. Like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Right? We have nowhere else to go. Like, you're the, you, we had plan A, plan Jesus. There is no plan B, right? You know, where are we going to go? He waits till we expend everything. You know, and oftentimes we squirm in it. You know, we, we depend upon the flesh. We strive. We try to make things work out when really we should just say, okay, Lord, forget all that. I'm trusting you and only you. You know, like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and you know the mess that started. And you know, just trust the Lord. So two minutes into it, I expended everything I had. Courtney hit me with a big right hand, and I was hurt bad. And, and I fell back into the ropes, and instinctively, I went to throw a left hand, but it was held back behind the ring ropes. And as it was held back, and I, I strained to throw a shot, 
every bit of energy drained out of me, and I started to go down. And the commentator was like, well, what's Ebo doing with his head down? I'm thinking, you know, I don't know. What, what else? What do you think I'm doing? Planning for next week? I don't know. But I, I started to go down, and it was that moment, man, I literally entered into the valley of the shadow of death. Literally. Thinking I was near, I thought I might die. And I began to call out to God again. The Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord God, it's about to be over. I'm about to get knocked out. It's about to be finished. Maybe you feel like that this morning. You know, I'm at the end. I, I have nothing left. You know, I've tried too many times for this marriage to work out. I've tried too many times with my kids. I've poured into them too many times to get spit in my face. You know, I've, I've forgiven too many times. Maybe you feel like you're at the very end and you got nothing left. Well, that's where I was at, man. I said, Lord, I got nothing left. I can't do it, Lord. But you told me if I didn't quit, you'd do what I can do, Lord. I didn't quit. And not only did I not quit, I didn't think about it. Since you gave that promise, I didn't allow the thought to enter my mind. I've denied my, I've captivated my thoughts, Lord, and, and I'm not going to think about it now. So I gathered together everything I possibly could, just enough to stand up. And as soon as I stood up, something amazing happened. Power from on high came into my body. And, you know, the commentator noticed it. He said, Ebro's got a burst of steam. It's a little late to get a burst of steam, don't you think? Yeah, one minute to go. That's my plan. Burst of steam right at the end. I'm going to take him out. No. What they perceived, and Steve Farhood, man, that guy, um, about two months ago, he nominated that fight his top five moment of Showbox history about two months ago. And, uh, and I contacted him, sent him an email, and was like, hey, man, that's awesome. That night was so special to you. It was powerful in my life. And... And uh, we're actually going to get together in November when I go up to New York. And, and I'm going to be able to witness to him. You know, his, his buddy on there, Nick Charles, who was his best friend and uh, co-commentator, died of cancer uh, two years ago. And I, I don't know where Nick Charles was in salvation. He mentioned, I heard him mention in an interview one time the grace of God in his life. So, you know, very well may. He, he may be in heaven right now. And, but I know Nick Charles doesn't know the Lord. And... Uh, I look forward to ministering to Nick Charles, you know, when, when the Lord crosses our path again. But anyway, uh, he said he's got a burst of steam. That was not a burst of steam, guys. It was the Holy Spirit empowering me. As Pastor Tim alluded to earlier, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What do we need to keep going when it gets difficult? We need power. You know, we don't need a, a motivational seminar. We don't need, you know, uh a new, a new doctrine or something, you know, something passing through the winds of time. We need power, right, to make it when it gets difficult. The Holy Spirit came upon me. You know, guys, the Holy Spirit is available. The day of Pentecost was the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all of mankind. And now the Holy Spirit is available. The baptism is available to every one of us who would just simply ask and receive with faith. And every now and then, we don't even have to ask for it, right? We're getting, you know, in Showtime boxing matches, and God just gives it, you know. And, well, with the power of the Holy Spirit, every shot began to land perfectly with power and precision. And 30 seconds later, the number four-ranked fighter in the world was out. 
what a difference it makes to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, in my own ability, in my own strength, in doing things the best I could do them, I was defeated. I was knocked out, going out. But in the power of the Spirit, trusting in the the leading and the power of God and His provision, I found victory. That's where we need to be, guys. You know, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, you know, uh, (laughs) um, the commentator there goes, you know, it's it's great that Ebo's praying to God, but he needs to pray for his opponent, you know. And what did I do? I didn't hear that, but God did. You know, God has designed our bodies in such a way that we can't get our foot in our mouth, but sometimes he puts it there. I love that. You know, he, he stuck his foot right back in his mouth because the Lord led me to go over and pray for Courtney Burton. And I prayed. I said, Lord God, make this loss for him a benefit like you did for me three and a half years earlier, that he'll know nothing of this world means anything, but only a relationship with you, his creator. Guys, nothing of this world will ever satisfy. Nothing. I've, at, at times I've had a lot of things of this world, and it always left me empty and wanting more. The Bible says the man that wants never has enough. Solomon had all the things of this world, pleasure and accomplishment and wealth and, and status and power. He had it all. And at the end of the book, he said, oh, man, what's the conclusion? <laughs> Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. I end today by just saying, look, guys, be patient. Establish your hearts. Remain steadfast. Depend upon the empowerment of the Lord to live this life and walk this Christian walk. We are in interesting times. We are in important times where the body of Christ needs to, to unify the, the, you know, the remnant that holds to the word of God and holds to Jesus and his name and his character and the way he does things. That remnant needs to unify and, and, and be more passionate for the Lord than ever before. I pray that we will be hot or cold, pure and pure, Sold out and sold out, right? He's worthy, amen? We don't serve him because of what he can do for us. We serve him because he's God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for our time in your word. And, and I thank you, Lord, for the time to share what you've done in my life, pieces of that, Lord, and your faithfulness and your goodness. Lord, I pray right now for anybody here that, you know, they feel like they're in that 12th round. They're in the middle of hardship and difficulty and, uh, you know, many, many I know have lost loved ones and are struggling with that and confused and, and temptation is that, a, you know, the enemy is bombarding us as the body of Christ. I know with temptation to turn away from you and uh, the persecution of the world, Father, and the culture we live in and the media, all the, all the nonsense. And Lord... Many of us feel like we're at the end of our rope. But Lord, we know you never grow weary. As we sang earlier, you you never grow tired. You never faint, Lord. You are always strong. And Lord, when we are weak, you're still strong. We can call upon your name, Lord, and you will fill us with power from on high. When it looks like all is lost, we can find victory in you. When we have nothing left, when there's nowhere for us to turn but you, Lord, that's the best place to be. And, Lord, as we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego today, they, they wanted to go where you were at, wherever that meant they might have to go, even into the, the hottest furnace of that day, Lord. 
We just want to be with you, Father. We want to know you and walk with you, and we want intimacy and fellowship and communion with you, Lord. So God, bring to light the the areas of our life that hinder us in our walk. May we lay aside those things that ensnare us and trap us and hold us down. May we lay those to the side and put on the new man and abide in you, remain in you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy and grace. Lord, you are so good. We are so thankful for all you've done. May we never grow calloused to the simple gospel that you have saved us, radically redeemed each of us, and adopted us into your family. Lord, we're thankful that we're your children. If there's anyone here today that has not surrendered to you, Lord, that hasn't given their life to you, I pray they would make that decision right now. Just between you, Lord, just pray you'd call them unto yourself and they would let go of saving their life and lose it for you. Lord, I pray for each person here, just strength and courage, comfort, Lord, Fill us with your spirit, empower us, baptize us, Lord, that we would have power to walk with you faithfully and to be effective witnesses unto all the earth. Lord Jesus, use us to accomplish your will. Lord, we look forward to seeing you soon. Come quickly, Jesus, we ask. In your name we pray, amen.